first this morning, though, I am going to turn straight away to a good news story because so much of the time at the moment, farming gets featured in the media when it's being criticised or when farmers are on the back foot defending what it is that they do, sometimes deserved, sometimes not. But I thought it would be interesting to meet some farmers who are winning by whatever measure it is that you choose to apply to them, be it water quality, profitability, carbon emissions, productivity, you name it. This husband and wife team appear to have got it all sorted. This, it would seem, is what happens when you let two scientists run a dairy farm on the side of a very steep hill outside Dungarvan, County Waterford. Multi-species there that we put in uh, two years ago now. How's it taking? Oh, no, we're really pleased with it. Uh, It's a seven-species mix, so there is red clover, white clover, chicory, plantain, timothy. Is there timothy Timothy in that mix? Yeah, timothy and fescue. Um, Yeah, we're 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 we're, everywhere you look on Neil and Gillian O'Sullivan's farm, there is some form of improvement underway. From the multi-species sward underfoot to the hedgerows surrounding the fields. Over a thousand trees. Yep. That went in two years ago. Wow. White thorn, black thorn, there's birch, oak. Apart from the aesthetics of it, what impact do you think it's actually going to make or do you want it to make? It's going to be a wildlife corridor. It's going to be a shelter break for the yard. So when you imagine that's going to be a line of trees in 15 years' time, it'll be a great shelter break for for the sheds. They're not big, they're not small. They are, by their calculations, perfectly stocked for the amount of grass that they can produce on challenging ground and to ensure no damage is being done to the surrounding watercourses. So we came down here in 2010 and we took over the running farm in 2013. There was about uh, 80, 85 cows and now we're at a stage where we're milking about 95, 100 cows. So it hasn't been a huge level of expansion. Um, but we were. Did you go higher than that around the lifting of quota? We went. We moved up to 105, 110 cows, and then we realised that uh, if we wanted to de-risk the farm in dry spells that we're most exposed to on this farm, then pulling back a little bit on stocking route was going to suit the farm a little bit better in terms of matching what the farm can grow for in terms of grass growth for to the number of cows it can carry. And that didn't feel like moving backwards, that was just the logical response to the amount of grass that you could grow. That's how we look at it, it's all, it's all around maintaining profitability, work-life balance, and that's why we would have come back. It's not just about all of the usual measurements of what is and isn't sustainable. Work-life balance is as important as profitability and helped considerably by moving to once-a-day milking, which allows for the tyranny of the blackboard to be accommodated. The board is, it dictates where we're going to be every evening. A very busy-looking household diary hanging over the kitchen table in everyone's line of sight. The kids are involved between music and different sports. We have something on every single day, so... Look, that's, that's the freedom that once a day has given us. We're able to attend all of these things, attend all the matches, um, try and encourage them to do a music practice, which is very difficult. But yeah, it, it's our, our, we're full on with four kids. This is one of the ways in which we have been attempting to and have been able to reduce our chemical nitrogen 
input, Philip. Uh, Back in the sheds, uh, if you mention any kind of progressive or experimental measure, either Gillian or Neil will be trying it out for size. We fill it so high with water and then we can dissolve our granular fertilizer and apply it to the field in a spray, which is called a foliar spray, a foliar application, so that a lot of the nitrogen in the fertilizer is hitting the leaf of the plant and is absorbed more efficiently. As opposed to being injected into the soil. going into the soil. Does it work? It works. It works. It's, it's uh, like any technology or like any uh, practice, there are do's and don'ts. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it, and then the Neil way to do it. <laughs> uh, but it has, yeah, we've, we've seen good results. We've maintained our grass growth while reducing our nitrogen input by about 30% this year. So on this farm at least, the reduction in the use of nitrogen hasn't been a response to price. It is because you're using this piece of kit. Price plays into it um, and also wanting to reduce our carbon footprint, wanting to reduce the amount of synthetic uh, uh, products that are going in, on, on, on into our soils, trying to improve the health and the fertility of our soils and our, and our biodiversity is all playing into everything. Also, we can hopefully maintain our production, our pasture production, and maintain our output. Yeah. Mm. That's a few months now. So. Their heads are down and buried in the detail of the day-to-day, but they're also looking over the horizon to the ever-changing extremes that the weather can throw at them, the worst the market could throw at them in terms of price for their milk, and whatever big policy changes are on the horizon. For instance, though they are in derogation, they spread nitrogen nowhere near the level that they're allowed to because they have a sense of changes ahead. Yeah, so we worked with the, the AgNav team, which measures your greenhouse gas emissions in the baseline years 2018. So we looked at the changes that we put into the farm. In the kitchen, Gillian produces a spreadsheet showing the astonishing amount of carbon and methane reductions that they have achieved in the last five years, before anyone ever asked the agriculture sector for a 25% reduction. And then we had a big, big reduction in the nitrogen uh, chemical nitrogen that we're using. And that has resulted in um, a drop in our total greenhouse gas emissions from the farm in 18% over that five-year period, which is over 70% of the way there in terms of getting to that 25% um, target that uh, is is there for agriculture. So I think that's a, that's a huge okay. change. Um, and was that mostly achieved through reducing stocking numbers? So the total number of cows has reduced by 9%, uh, but the young stocks of our replacement heifer calves and yearling heifers have come down by, you know, between 25 and 45%. Okay, so we have an overall stocking re- rate reduction of 18%. So that's that's a driver in terms of enteric methane. Uh, but fertilizer usage is, is probably a, a, a bigger driver okay. than that. Well, let's just cut to the chase on the number that's going to matter. What happened to your profitability as you reduced stock by that much? Even in a torridge year, I think we're, we're set up to have a reasonably low cost base. So even if even if our, our returns, if our milk prices is not so good, we're still making a margin. A heifer being fed in a pen on her own because she has a broken leg that they have treated themselves reminds me that these guys are both qualified vets. Neil has just completed a master's in environmental science and Gillian devours science journals. The drive to do things better is unrelenting. 
How much time do the pair of you spend thinking about what to do on this farm? You actually wouldn't believe the time we put into it. <laughs> Every decision Jillian probably is... thinks more than I do. <laughs> no. It is a wonderful resource that we have. It is really, really important yeah. to make decisions about it so that our four children will have something to enjoy into the future and that it's there for them to enjoy into the future. So, but I, I suppose it is kind of cliched, but farming is a way of life rather than just a job. You know, you don't switch off. Maybe we should do a bit more, but you don't switch off at... 4.30 or 5 o'clock, uh, you know, just because you have to go into the house. And your thinking can be done while you're in the car on the way from one farm to the other or on the way to the school to pick up kids or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but, yeah, it's it, and it's also our... It's part of our recreation as well, you know, because um, when the kids are free or off at the weekend, they'll be out with us doing a few jobs and something that's, that's safe or something that everyone can participate in. So it's... It's a, it's a resource, it's an educational resource, it's a, a recreational resource and obviously it's a very important source of income. One big thing about farming is that the highs are higher in the job. The absolute joy you get from growing young stock and seeing them perform really well in, in, as milking cows or bringing calves into the world or having trying something that works out on the farm. The absolute joy from that you, is You own is un- those achievements yeah. a lot more than you would in other contexts. But despite the highs being higher, the lows are lower. And that's the trade-off. In terms of lows, is there a disconnect in your mind between what it is that you're trying to do here and where the national conversation around farming is and public attitudes towards farmers? I find it very frustrating at times because I can see that farmers, especially, I mean, I'm, we're, we're in a couple of discussion groups and when you're chatting to farmers, you can see the effort they're trying to, to, make, to make changes on their farm. But every change that you put into practice on a farm brings risk because the first time you try it, it's never going to work. Like, you, we all know that. It's, you can't just say, well, it this may is not, it. It may not work. I yeah. know, but you'll you always make mistakes. And it's those mistakes that are going to cost you. And when you're in, a, in, an, in an industry where mistakes co- can be very, very costly, mm-hmm. then change is going to be costly. So that's why it's, it's hard to get people to move the dial. So when people say, oh, farmers should do X, yeah. it's never as simple oh. as that. No, it's not as simple as that. Uh, and I, I think farmers feel sometimes, whether it's justified or not, that they're, they're demonised um, for doing something that, that people have done for millennia here, you know, which is producing good food from grass. Ah, there you go. There is one downside to spending time with these people. Being around so much relentless improvement actually ended up leaving me feeling quite inadequate by the time I had left the farm. But that is my problem, not theirs. My thanks to Gillian and Neil O'Sullivan for putting up with me uh, staying several hours longer than I had initially invited myself for to ask them so, so many questions.